And for the sixth Sunday of Easter, we're going to continue to look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look this morning at verses 35 to 49. You'll find it in the Pew Bible on page 961. It's also printed out for you in the bulletin. Paul says, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sovereign word. We pray now you would be pleased to send your sovereign spirit, that you would pry open our cold, dead, resistant hearts, and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, Obey it and rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I don't know how many of you have heard of a famous artist named um, Stanley Spencer, Sir Stanley Spencer. Uh, I actually have somehow managed to live 60 plus years without really knowing much about this artist, but he's actually regarded as one of the great artists of the 20th century in England. Uh, he was knighted by Queen Elizabeth and he became Sir Stanley Spencer. He lived 1891 and died the year after I was born in 1959. Uh, he lived almost all of his life in the same small village called Cookham in Berkshire, about 32 miles from 
uh, the Queen's famous house in London, and about nine miles from the Queen's famous house in Windsor. Uh, he lived his whole life uh, in or near that small town called Cookham. Uh, he was deeply religious, and one of Sir Stanley Spencer's most famous paintings, which I have read a bit about this week, is called The Resurrection Cookham. Uh, if you get home and get a spare minute uh, this Lord's Day, Google the painting, The Resurrection Cookham, C-O-O-K-H-A-M. It's quite a famous painting, and when you see it, you might see why. It's a, it's a remarkable picture. It's the artist's envisioning the resurrection that we're reading about here in 1 Corinthians 15 lived out in a little country churchyard in Cookham, England. Uh, it's a painting of a very typical churchyard circa late 1940s. That was when he was probably painting this particular picture, or maybe 30s, uh, showing graves bursting with people being raised from the dead. Bishops and noblemen and common people, husbands and wives and children and babies, white people, and very notably for a painting in the mid-20th century in uh, England, a predominantly white country, there was a very dramatic portrayal of, of Africans and black people being raised to that same resurrection life, way ahead of his time, really, in his bigness of understanding of the resurrection, that it, it is, it's not one culture or one ethnicity, it's the whole world gets caught up in this glorious resurrection, which we read about here in 1 Corinthians 15. It's quite a stirring picture. Take a look at it, see if you agree. Uh, it, it's definitely provocative. It will make you think so it's an interesting picture. And I think one of the things I like best about this painting, it it's, can be seen in London to this day at the Tate Gallery, uh, one of the things I like about the painting is it shows one person of faith wrestling with the questions raised here in 1 Corinthians 15, written 2,000 years ago, and questions that they wrestled about then in Corinth, questions that they wrestled about in mid-20th century England, and questions that you and I actually wrestle with today. We bring these questions with us. They may or may not be very articulated, but uh, they are questions that we all share. And if you look at the question in uh, verse 36, this is page 961, uh, you'll get the idea. This is the question Paul is answering. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Verse 36, sorry, that was verse 35. Verse 36 begins with an exclamation, you foolish person. It, it seems as though the question was being posed in a less than honest or sincere way. It may very well have been that there were people in Corinth who were criticizing Paul's teaching on the resurrection. It would not be a surprise if they were. It was a uh, Greco-Roman society. They, they didn't have a category like the Jews did for the resurrection of bodies. They didn't, they, that was not a way they thought of life and death. So it may very well have been that Paul was responding to a negative and intentionally provocative, mean-spirited question, the kind of question that was sometimes hurled at Jesus. 
for people who didn't really want to get an answer from him. They wanted to trip him up. And it could well have been there were people at the church in Corinth who were trying to trip Paul up by getting him to say something about this crazy idea of the resurrection of dead people. Could well have been that was the setting. But whatever the setting, whatever the specific question, Paul's uh, first response in verse 6 is to point out, point out our inherent foolishness. Uh, and another way of putting that might be our inherent limited understanding of things. He's not really responding meanness to meanness. He, he's pointing out what is in fact a category of human condition. Uh, the human condition is we are foolish. Uh, whether a mean spirit or not, we, we are foolish. We, we have very, very limited understanding, and, and yet we tend to think we know a lot more than we do. And I think as we gather here today, we're probably a little bit like that. We think we know a lot more than we do. And so Paul, very first thing is he, he reels us back in, and he's going to give us a very important, and very, in some ways very basic instruction on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he, he poses this question, and in verses 38 to 41, he's going to answer it. And this is my first of uh, three points this morning. He's going to answer this question by talking, first of all, about a glorious gift. This is verses 38 to 41. And then a glorious transformation, that's verses 42 to 48. And he's going to finish up with a glorious promise in verse 49 and actually through the rest of the chapter. A glorious gift, a glorious transformation, and a glorious promise. Let's look at verses 38 to 41. Having posed this question, Paul says this in verse 38. But God gives. Let's just pause for a moment. Three words into the verse. But God gives. What he's going to actually describe in these next few verses is God's gift of the creation that we can look around and see. He said, God gives a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the, other, of the earthly is of another. Paul begins his answer about resurrection by talking about creation, which might strike as, as a little surprising. He begins his explanation of, of what the resurrection body is going to be like by, first of all, looking around at the world. Um, and in, in this passage, he, he kind of, well, I'm a grandfather, uh, he kind of slips into grandfather mode, <laughs> which is very easy for me to imagine. It's as though he's talking to the church in Corinth, and it's, it's like they're his children in faith, and we're all sitting there listening to Paul. What is he going to say? And it's like he says, okay, well, look around you. And you see the people? And you see the animals and the birds. You see all these beautiful things. You see the fish that God created. That's 
Christian Faith 101, God created everything, right? So he's, he's, he's going back to the very beginning of Sunday school. And he's saying, look around you. God gives all these things. He created all these things. I mentioned I'm a granddad, soon to be a granddad six times over, hopefully pretty soon. One of my favorite things to do uh, with my grandsons, who are old enough to participate in my questions and answers, uh, is we'll go out in the front porch. And I love to do this with them if if they're willing to play along with granddaddy. And we'll go around and I'll say, uh, who made you? God made me. And who made mommy and daddy? God made mommy and daddy. Who made these trees and who made the birds? I love to listen to the birds at night and I'll say, who made the birds? God made the birds. And then, if I'm really lucky, they'll be willing to talk with me long enough and we'll look up at the sky and we'll see the moon. And I'll say to them, who made the moon? God made the moon. Who made the sun? God made the sun. Who made all the stars and all the planets? God made all the stars. God made all the planets. And Paul begins talking about the resurrection by this very, very simple lesson about God making everything. He made us. He made the stars and the planets. He made the birds and the, and the squirrels. and the, He made it all. He created it all. He gives us all of this. Uh, do you know the TV program Blue Planet? I, lo- I love Blue Planet. I could watch Blue Planet all the time. It's, it's just a, a, a BBC production that uh, goes to different beautiful corners of the world and under the sea and in the mountains and in the savannas and, and just show, shoots video and, and of these incredible, beautiful things. Well, it's like Paul is giving the Corinthians a Blue Planet talk. Look at all this beautiful stuff. You want to understand the resurrection? Let's start with what you can look around and see. You know, um, sometimes Christians are thought of as not having a very high view of this world. We're, this world is filthy, this world's a wreck, this world's a mess, let's just wad it up and throw it away. Doesn't matter, it's ugly, it's fallen, it's so terribly corrupt, just throw it away. Um, that is not the way Paul views it. It's not the way the Bible views it. The Bible has a very high view of creation. It's, it's fading away. It's falling apart. You don't have to be 63 to realize that over time, lots of things begin to not work the way they used to work. And we do live in a corrupt and fallen world. That is true. But from Genesis through Revelation, creation is held up as a good work of God. In fact, here in 1 Corinthians 15, it's not from bad to good, from creation to uh, resurrection. It's like degrees of glory. So Paul says, look at all these beautiful things running around and that you can look up and see. They are glorious. They are glorious. They're in all sorts of ways, little tiny reflections of the God who created them. God doesn't make junk. 
So everything he has made is glorious. And that's where he starts talking about the resurrection. Look around at this glorious gift that God has given us. Now we need to start there too. We need to reclaim and remind ourselves again and again and again of the very high Christian understanding of the gift of creation. I mean, every Christian should be a small e environmentalist in, in that sense. That every Christian should love and value this place that God created. We, he, he actually made us stewards of it. It's not ours, it's his. And from the very beginning, our job has been to take care of it. So in that sense, every single Christian, all of us should care about this place. We should care about the world that God has made and we should seek to take good care of it and to be good stewards of it. And so Paul has all this in mind as he, as he talks about and answers this question about the resurrection. We live in a world that is God's glorious gift. Now look at verse 42. With, the, with that backdrop, right? With that backdrop, he says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What a beautiful transition. He, he looks at what we can all look around and see. We can all understand. We can begin to get our minds around. He made all this beautiful, beautiful stuff. Now he, he says, so it is with the resurrection. So what is? The same God who gives us creation is also going to give us resurrection. Or as we read just a moment ago from Revelation chapter 21, new creation. See, resurrection is not simply a dead body coming back to life. I mean, one of the sad things I'd have to say about Stanley Spencer's vision of the resurrection in, in Cookham, England, is it looks like it's simply dead bodies living again. And I think probably some of us have that in our heads, that resurrection means the people we love who are buried somewhere will, will simply, uh, all the molecules will reconfigure and that exact body will simply raise up again. And that's about as far as our understanding of resurrection may go. But not according to Paul. <sighs> no, Paul makes the point that yes, there is an intimate connection between the bodies of the dead whom we honor in Christian burial, in Christian cemeteries. You go to these old churchyards or a cemetery here, and, and uh, the, the body that is laid to rest there, there is an intimate connection between that and the resurrection. But it's not simply God sort of doing a, 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 a supernatural AED. <laughs> uh, we have one of those machines out in the lobby. I want everyone at Metrocrest to know how to use the AED in case it's ever needed. But it's not as though God is simply some super powerful AED who shocks human life back into existence and dead bodies get up and walk around. Uh, we have a word for that. It's called zombies. Uh, lots of movies you can watch about zombies, you know. Uh, that's not what Paul is describing, and that's not what Jesus represents. So what, what is it? So, so what is the resurrection of the dead? 
Well, verse 42 explains. What is sown is perishable. That body is perishable. It can perish. It can decay. What is raised is imperishable. It does not decay. The resurrection body that we eagerly await, the resurrection of the dead, that body, like Jesus' body, will be imperishable. It will not decay. It will be part of this new creation that Revelation 21 talks about. It's so eloquently, so beautifully, so powerfully. Uh, The resurrection means the, the body that is raised is like that. It is imperishable. Not only is it imperishable, verse 43, it is raised in glory. It's, it's sown in dishonor. Sown in dishonor in its extreme vulnerability and its, its uh, the ugliness of death and age and all the impact of disease. What is sown reflects those things. It is, it is sown in, in dishonor, the dishonor of the corruption of the world. It's sown like that. It's buried like that. But, he says, it is raised in glory. The, the resurrected body is glorious, brothers and sisters. It's not simply this kind of with a plus mark. It's this transformed. So, a glorious gift, verses 38 to 41 A glorious transformation, verses 42 to 48. The resurrection is all about this glorious transformation. Not only is it uh, sown in being perishable and dishonored, it is also weak. Well, Paul says, just as though it's raised imperishable and glorious, so it is raised, he says, in power. The resurrection body is a demonstration, a manifestation, an example of God's power. The the same God who created the stars and the planets and and all the animals and the fish and the birds and you and me, that same glorious God demonstrates his power one day in the resurrection of the dead. It shows his power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And he's, he's not saying that one is bad and one is good. No, he's, he's spent a whole paragraph saying how the natural is, is glorious. But what he points out is that this new creation is, is supernatural. It, it, it is actually spiritual. Like Jesus, it is spiritual. I don't know that we get our minds around that enough, that that the resurrection that we're looking towards is a spiritual resurrection that involves our bodies. Our bodies are resurrected, but they're resurrected now in the spiritual life that we see in Jesus. That's the resurrection, and that's the kind of body we'll have. It will not age. It will not fall apart. It will not be subject to illness. It will not be subject to corruption. It will be spiritual like Jesus' body. A glorious transformation. And he ties it very explicitly to Adam and Jesus. He says, just like that first man, Adam, that we read about in verse 45, uh, he's alive, he's glorious, he's a demonstration of God's sovereign power. Well, 
Jesus is that transformed. Jesus is Adam fulfilled. Adam transformed into the image that God has always intended for his people. Jesus is the perfected Adam, the fulfilled Adam, the new Adam. And Paul makes the connection between what happens to Jesus and what happens to those who are in Jesus. So the last Adam became a life-giving spirit and you and I are in that new Adam. You and I are in that second Adam, that spiritual Adam. The first man came from earth, a man of dust. The second man, Jesus, is from heaven. As was the man of dust, verse 48, so also are those who are of the dust. It goes from singular, man of dust, to plural, all those who are in Adam are also of the dust. And then he says, as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. He goes from the singular, Jesus, to the plural, those who are of heaven. Because you and I are in Christ, Paul wants us to understand, we are, have a participation and can expect a full participation in what has happened to our Jesus, our Adam. The fulfilled Adam becomes representative for us. And just as we have participated in the corruption of the, the old Adam, so we participate by God's grace in the radical, glorious transformation of the new Adam. Now that's why Easter is not just a time to reflect on Jesus' being raised, but also a time to reflect on its significance for you and me. Because Paul's point is, what happened to Jesus? Remember, he called this the first importance. What happened to Jesus when he was raised from the dead matters to you and me. It matters every time we go to a funeral of someone we love and we bury their body in the ground, carrying with it the, the marks of this fallen world. Our confidence in Christ is that all those who are in Jesus will one day be raised in the glorious perfection of Christ. Life completely transformed. Life as we can really hardly imagine apart from thinking about the resurrected Jesus. The only way you and I can really understand our resurrection is by looking at the resurrected Christ. What has happened to him in him will happen to us. That's meant to give us hope. That's meant to give us courage. It's meant to explain the, the world we live in. It, it's meant to give us courage and mission and ministry. It's meant to stir us to acts of faithfulness. It's meant to give us courage and hope and boldness in Christ. And so as Paul often does, he closes this paragraph with a glorious promise. He moves from talking about what is to what shall be. Verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There is our 
glorious promise, brothers and sisters. It's meant, meant to help us deal with every funeral and every sickbed and every hardship, every act of persecution, every martyrdom. It's all made sense in the work of Christ because we shall bear his image. Paul's going to talk a little bit more about this. We'll, we'll look at this passage, God willing, next Sunday, beginning at verse 50. But where he brings us is to, to this glorious realization that the same God who has gloriously given us all things, this beautiful creation, he's made it all, that same God will transform us and we shall be like Jesus. There is our hope and promise in the gospel. So I hope this Easter, this season of the resurrection, we'll take that more and more into our hearts, uh, that we will celebrate the resurrection uh, here in Carrollton, the resurrection Carrollton, uh, God's work among us, that will one day, not yet, but one day it will be brought to perfect fulfillment in Christ. Let's bow our heads as we'll pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your servant Paul. Thank you for his words to us here in 1 Corinthians 15. Thank you that by the Spirit, Father, you have given us words that are meant to give us hope, that are meant to give us courage, that are, that are meant to give us boldness. Oh, Heavenly Father, please send your Spirit upon us. Give us grace like you gave Paul grace long ago to be willing to be faithful witnesses, to, to share the faith we have with the world around us, a world that is fading away, a world that is beautiful, that still reflects <clears throat> something of your glory. Help us to share the good news of the new creation, which will show forth your perfection in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.